All right, so we're going to continue in our study of bibliology this morning by focusing on the different forms of the Word of God. If you didn't get a handout, they're back on the table there. You can grab, grab one of those. The, the scriptures use that phrase, the Word of God, in a few uh, different settings. And so we want to explore what we mean when we say the Word of God. And you can see that laid out there on your outline. Uh, The first phrase that we want to look at here, or the first way that it's referred to, is the Word of God as a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 19.13, the scripture says, He, that is referring to Jesus, is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And then one that's maybe more familiar to you, John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm not sure why I didn't put verse 14 on there, but the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, is what verse 14 says. So, There aren't many places in Scripture, in fact, I think these are the only two, you could probably make a case for 1 John 5, where Jesus is specifically referred to as the Word of God or as the Word. So it's not that common that you see it being referred to specifically. Say that again. Yeah, Revelation 19, verse 13. Yes. First John chapter 5. Yeah, I can't remember. I think verse 7 might be the uh, one that you could see there. But So it's, it's not common that you see Jesus specifically referred to uh, in this way, but it, it does show us something about the Trinity and the fact that Jesus has this unique role of communicating the character of God to us and also expressing the will of God for us, right? So he is the Word. So we want to keep that in mind as we, as we study the Word. And that's really helpful because sometimes when you get into your study of the Word of God, it can turn into, in, into just an intellectual exercise for you, right? You start studying it like some other type of book. But you recognize this is divine and you're communing with God through this study. So that's something that is helpful for us as we think through that. Um, let's look at the second form here, and this is subcategorized under four points. The Word of God as speech by God. And the first one there is God's decrees. What we mean when we talk about a decree of God is a Word of God that causes something to happen. That's a decree of God, a Word of God that causes something to happen. So, for example, in Genesis 1-3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. So God spoke and something happened when he spoke. Psalm 33, verse 6 also says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, 
all their host. Okay. So, so God decrees something, he speaks it, and it happens. So it's amazing, isn't it, right? You walk outside and you look around and you think, God spoke all of this into existence. At one time there wasn't anything, and then God spoke and everything came into being. It's an amazing reality. So these decrees of God include not only what he did at creation, the original creation, but also Hebrews tells us that they continue to exist by his word. Okay, somebody want to read this for us? Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3. upholds the universe by the word of his power. Everything holds together right now because he is causing it to hold together. The second type you see here is not only God's decree, but also God's words of personal address. In the past, as we see here in this passage in Hebrews, God at times communicated with people by directly speaking to them. And there are some examples that we see of this throughout Scripture that I want to reference, where you have God speaking directly to an individual here. In Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, can somebody read that for us? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, Okay, so there's, there's a direct word from God to Adam on what he is to do. Okay, and then another example we see here in Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he goes on in the rest of the Ten Commandments, speaking directly. And then over in the New Testament, you see an example of this, multiple examples actually, but at the baptism of Jesus, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right? So you have God speaking audibly to people. And in th these instances here, and then several others where God spoke words of personal address to individual people, it was clear to them that these were the actual words of God coming to them. They were hearing God's very voice, and they were therefore hearing words that had absolute divine authority and were absolutely trustworthy to be obeyed. And so we can look at it this way, to not believe or to disobey these words would have been not to believe or disobey God himself. And therefore, it would have been sin. Now, though the words of God's personal address are always seen in Scripture to be the actual words of God, one of the things that we want to understand is that they're also human words. 
In other words, they're immediately understandable, right? God speaks and the people understood what was being spoken, at least what they were hearing if they didn't understand the exact interpretation of it. Uh, The fact that these words are spoken in human language, it doesn't limit their divine character in any way or limit them in any way. They are still entirely the words of God spoken by the voice of God himself. And the reason that's important is because some theologians have argued that since human language is always in some respect imperfect, any message that God addresses to us in human language must also be limited in its authority or truthfulness, right? So sometimes you're trying to say something to someone, and maybe you find yourself saying, I I just can't find the words that I want to use. I'm saying something to them, but I'm not conveying exactly what is on my heart. Well, God doesn't have that problem, right? He conveys it exactly as he desires. There's not any frustration in God that I can't put this the way that I want to. He says it exactly like it is. And therefore, it has perfect authority and truthfulness and is to be obeyed even as it comes to us as language that we can understand. Because the passages that we looked at record instances of God's personal address to individuals and it gives no indication at all of any limitation of the authority or the truthfulness of God's words when they're spoken in human language, right? God doesn't look at that and say, I, let me, that, that didn't get through, obviously, so let me say it this way and, and see if this helps, right? He speaks, and through his speaking, he expects obedience from what he has spoken, that it is clear and trustworthy and authoritative, and therefore, Those words come to us with an obligation to be obeyed fully. And then the third type that we see here on your outline is God's words as speech through human lips. Okay, so you have God's decrees. God speaks that word. Something happens. God speaking directly to people or individuals. But then you have God speaking through people through human lips, right? Frequently in scripture, what we see is God raising up prophets through whom he speaks. Once again, it's evident that these are human words spoken in ordinary human language by ordinary human beings. But again, the authority and the truthfulness of these words is in no way diminished. They're still completely God's words as well, just in another form. I'll show you a few examples of this. Somebody can read this passage for us from Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 through 20. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. Okay. So you you see how clearly God communicates that these are my words. 
right? I'm going to put my words in his mouth so that when he speaks, I'm speaking. And if that's not obeyed, I'm going to require it of him as if it was a disobedience, not to his words on a human level, but to my words on a divine level. Jeremiah 1.9 Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Right. So when Jeremiah was prophesying, he was speaking for the Lord. Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. You remember the story with Moses here where God says, I'm going to send you to go speak. And he's just like, you got the wrong guy. I can't do it. I'm slow of speech. But here's what he says. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So you see the clear authoritative nature of what these prophets were saying in the name of the Lord. Now, as we saw back in that passage in Deuteronomy 18, anyone who claimed to be speaking for the Lord, but who had not received a message from him, was dealt with severely. Because of the nature of the office. They understood that when this person is speaking and says, thus saith the Lord, this is a word from heaven. This isn't just some man that's just going to go on and say his own thing here, and we don't have to really give it any regard. This is a word from God coming to us. Amber, do you want to... That's right. So much weight to it. Yep. And it comes from yeah. Amen. Amen. Lawrence? And so the previous time I had on the air, and I never so helped people, when people talk about their spiritual faith, when they'll say, God talked, God spoke to me, or the Spirit spoke to me instead. Yes. It's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Lawrence. It's, it's, you got to be very careful when people say, the Holy Spirit said to me, or God spoke to me. If, if I'm saying that, I'm saying, you know what God shared with me this morning, and I'm going right here, right? I'm coming right, this is what God said to me today, right? Or the Holy Spirit brought to mind... 1 John chapter 3, verse, right? God's not giving any new revelation. And the minute we start using language like the Holy Spirit said to me, whatever you're about to say, you're claiming divine authority with that. So we've got to be very careful with language that we use in situations like that. But look at this passage here in Ezekiel 13, verses 1 through 7. If I could have somebody read this for us. Word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying, and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own who follow their own spirit, and have seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. 
You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them, and yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination? Whatever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken. Well, that's, that's pretty serious. Right? Ezekiel's going to these people who are claiming to be speaking in the name of the Lord and saying, you're not speaking in the name of the Lord. The Lord hasn't given you a word for that. So this was a serious thing to say that you had a word from God. So, so God's words spoken through human lips were considered to be just as authoritative and just as true as God's words of personal address. There was no diminishing of the authority of these words when they were spoken through human lips. And again, just like when God spoke directly to people, when he spoke through human lips, to not believe or obey any of them was not to believe or obey God himself. You know, an example of this is like when an ambassador is sent from a country to go represent the king or whoever it may be. And he goes and he says a word to this other king or whoever it may be. He's speaking on behalf of that person. So that these are his words. So if those words are not taken into account, it's an attack against the one who sent him. Such as was with the prophets. And so it is with us as we go out and we proclaim the word of God to people. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he said, if they reject you, remember, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Right, right, exactly. Okay, so that's, that's important to, to note. Okay, let's go on to this last point here, God's words in written form, the Bible. So you had the words of decree, of personal address, and those spoken through the lips of human beings. We also find in Scripture several instances where God's words were put in written form, and that is before the formation of the canon as we have it in our hands uh, today. The first of these is found in the narrative of the giving of the two tablets of stone on which were written the Ten Commandments. Exodus 31.18, if somebody can read that for us. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking to him on Mount Sinai, Two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Okay, so there, there you have it. So you have God decree, I'm giving a word, something happens. I'm speaking directly to people. I'm speaking through my prophets, and things are being written down. All of them are authoritative. 32.16 here in Exodus, the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Okay. Also, you have some further writing here by Moses in Deuteronomy 31, verses 9 through 13. If somebody can read that for us. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priest, the son of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded Assemble the people, men, women, and 
Okay, thank you. So notice this in verse 9. Then Moses wrote this law. Okay, so here it is, written down, gives it to the priests. And then notice here, the purpose of it is that people may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. Right? So this is God saying, here's how I'm communicating this. Is it's written down and it's read to the people that they may hear and learn to fear me, to walk in my ways. Also, Deuteronomy 31, verses 24 through 26, when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in a book to the very end, Moses commanded the Levites who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, take this book of the law and put it by the side of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. Okay, so this was authoritative. This is the word of God that is written. After Moses wrote, further additions were made to this book of God's words. In Joshua 24, verse 26, and Joshua wrote these words. As you read back, this is the end of Joshua here. And, and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. Okay, so he's, he's adding to it. Thus showing that it also is authoritative, whatever he is writing in there. From there, we also see God commissioning others to write his words. Isaiah 30, verse 8, And now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. So just like we saw with the law of God that Moses had written and Joshua added to those words, here you have Isaiah writing, that it may be a witness forever. Okay, so again, here's this commission to write these things and scribe it in a book that the people would have it in their hands. Jeremiah 30, verse 2, Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, Write in a book all the words that I've spoken to you. Right? So, right, we pick up Isaiah. Why do we have Isaiah? Why do we have Jeremiah? Because God gave this command to these men. Write it down. Put it in a book. Give it to the people. We have the very word of God. So these things were written that others might hear from God as well, right? So it wasn't just for the benefit of the original hearers, but this was passed on to those that would come after them. In fact, what, it's really interesting. You have recorded in the book of Daniel him reading the words that God gave to Jeremiah. Right? Daniel's trying to work through how all this is going to play out. And look what it says in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived, watch this, in the books, in the books, I went and read something. In the books, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Daniel, what did you read in your devotions this morning? Jeremiah. Right? So, so you have prophets referring to other prophets in other books. So again, you see this authoritative nature that we have the written word of God. These are the words that God gave to us. And Desmond will be hitting on this a little bit more over the next three weeks when he goes through the canon of Scripture. Uh, in the New Testament, 
Jesus promises his disciples that the Holy Spirit would bring to their remembrance the words that he, that is Jesus, had spoken. Okay, somebody want to read that for us? John 14, 25 and 26. You know, did you ever think, like, as you read through, like, the Gospels, you think, how did these guys remember all these things that Jesus did? Bingo. Right there. He's going to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's where our confidence lies. It's that these things are inspired by the Holy Spirit. John 16, verses 12 through 13. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you. Notice that. I still, I, I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. Well, well when are you going to tell us these things that we need to know, Jesus? When the Spirit of truth cr- comes, He's going to guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. There's the confidence you have as you open up the word of God. Jesus is speaking, right? Jesus says here, I still have many things to say to you. Well, he's going to die and ascend back into heaven. How are you going to speak to us? I'm going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to come, and he's going to speak, and he's not going to come on his own, but he's going to speak what he hears. Yes. 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 Yeah, exactly. So this is not an authoritative word that Jesus is speaking to all believers individually, authoritatively, outside of the Word of God, correct? Yes, context is very important here. Yeah, because you can definitely rip that out of context and, and say, still, he he's still had many things to say to me, and he's still speaking today, which some claim, and we're going to get into that, actually. Yes, Norm? The old saying, a text taken out of context is a pretext. That's right. Yes. Amen. Okay, what we want to see here again is that these words are still considered to be God's own words, even though that they're written down by human beings, okay? They're absolutely authoritative. Okay, I want to go into this last section here on benefits of God's written word. And we'll get to that in a second. And I want to give you three things that uh, Grudem brought out in his systematic theology that I thought was was helpful um, in thinking about this. Well, let me let me back up actually before I I get into that. And I had a question for application at the end, but I want to bring it to you at at this point. Do you think you would pay more attention? If God spoke to you from heaven or through the voice of a living prophet than if he spoke to you from the written words of Scripture. 
Would you believe or obey such words more readily than you do Scripture, that is, the written Word of God? Let's discuss that for a moment. There's a novelty involved here. Yeah. Uh, we, you, so we in the U.S. we have read, we have the word readily available to us. Yes. And so it's not novel anymore. Right. And you can see it. You, you hear stories of other countries where that's not the case, and it is novel to them, and so it is precious to them. Yes. And so for that reason, anybody who says, anybody who looks at this and says, "Yeah, I would probably respond to his spoken voice more than the word." That's probably why. Yes, that's a good point, right? I need something more exciting at times than than this, right? Go ahead, Al. I was going to add, if, if this tells us anything in Scripture, you see the word God speaks to man, yes. the Old Testament, and still man doesn't listen to God. Yes. Um, my own Yeah. Right, yeah, that's a, that's a great point. That's a very, very good point. Yeah, he, he said that what we have, as we look back at the Old Testament, what, where God's speaking directly to people, they still disobeyed, even with his audible voice from heaven. So. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, we got to be careful with people who are claiming to be receiving words from God, e- even even in very uh, subtle ways. Um, I think of a, a book that's been popular for the last four or five years, um, and if you're currently reading it, see me afterwards, and I'll tell you why I don't think you should be reading it, but it's called Jesus Calling yes. by Sarah Young. And, uh, you know, she'll say in there that these aren't the authoritative word of God, but then she'll go on to say that Jesus said this to me. And it's blowing off the bookshelves. And why? Because it's seen as like this fresh word from heaven. And you read it, and it's just like, you know, how, how do you compare this with the, the word of God? Um, so we've got to be very discerning, right? It's not that they just come in very obvious ways, but very just little subtle ways. Uh, we've got to keep our, our guard up on issues like that, Des. I think sometimes it's, uh, people are saying that the Lord has spoken Yes. That's correct. To obey God's word, it was sin and worthy of condemnation. So you're not going to say there's a way of sin to you. Right. You're worthy of hellfire. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. Absolutely. Yes. yes. It's, it's based entirely upon the fact that the voice that came to him not only was it changed. Yes. If God's word was not reliable. Yep. And therefore now we have something that provides something and makes it better because we've got a new word. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll go Will and then I'll come over to Forrest. Yeah, I think a lot of times people, it's like Desmond said, they, it's almost like they use it as a habit because um, they want to back up their teaching of Scripture by just saying, oh, like, I heard this from God, and rather than saying, like, using actual, like, defenses for their, their um, interpretation. Yes. But I think, um, on another note, um, most of the Bible is more of a corporate address. Yeah. I think a lot of people really want that intimate, one-on-one mm-hmm. um message from God and that's what they're looking for and so when they yeah when they read the Bible they, they don't hear it as like directly at them right and that's what they're looking for right um, that's a good point yeah I've definitely known some people who like they, they look for that they're looking to hear from God and, and they don't feel like it's as special to hear from the Bible what it's saying as if you were going to speak to them yes amen also, amen let me let me come to Forrest next. Since I think we should all be aware, there's a new, extremely blasphemous wave coming against Christianity that began in 2009. I don't have the exact title, but they actually have the word reformed. It's like reformed apostolic something. They believe the second apostolic age began in 2009. Mm. There are apostles and prophets, and they're totally saying. We have all the answers. We perform the miracles. We do all of this, and it's growing like wildfire. Yeah. Wow. It's an extremely frightening moment. Yeah. So I think we all need to be very much aware of. Right. 
Yeah. Amen. Well, the New Apostolic Reformation. Yes. Otherwise yeah. known as NAR. Right. Yeah. Okay, go here and then here and then we're going to finish up. The danger in our day and age is novelty sells. Like you go to McDonald's or New Urban, new, uh, new cars, yep. you know, like even corporations like Best Western. Same company, but they changed. So the novelty. So for a lot of people that are not certain, yeah, when they hear something new from God, they go, oh, "Yeah, I'll go for that." So yeah, yeah. There's a freshness, so to speak. That's that's there. Yeah, good. Okay, Lawrence. And, and not to be disrespectful, it's easy to be in this circles, but um, Catholicism—they believe in a duel, and um, and no matter what it's said in their canons. And popularly, there's a far more strength in the living prophet, their their hope, their 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 you know, the people who are in control of, of expressing the word, being able to interpret it. There's a um, there's a greater it's a, it's it seems to be a greater authority from that than when we discuss the word of God, even if there's a conflict. It's at least with my experience with uh, uh, the priests, uh, whatever their word is, yeah. has more weight than what I can present. Yeah. The word of God. But um, you know, a, a, a living prophet. You look at what happened in, um, with John three, the, the one who came to him at, at night. Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Yep. He's told later on that he says, "Are you too from Galilee? You know, right? Are you too uh, from there?" Essentially saying, "Are you not a prophet?" I mean, there's a presumption. Yes. There's a weakness in those right. who claim the word if they aren't a prophet. Right. So there's a, a, a need for them right. to be able to, to speak the word of God yep. without necessarily adhering to this um, is a risk. Right. So um, there's, a, there's a way of getting, uh, I guess, trapped by looking at that dual authority right. because it's very easy for any church to be filled with individuals who have their leadership that are not, yeah. um, that are not being given the word of God. Right. Not yeah. being directed by the word of God. Yeah. And, and therefore... Amen. That's right. Amen. Good stuff. Okay, let's let's uh, finish up here. Uh, I want to mention these uh, things that Gruda mentioned in his systematic theology that I thought were beneficial of God's uh, written word, the benefits that we can derive from that. Uh, the first he points out, there is a much more accurate preservation of God's words for subsequent generations. Uh, not, not having the need to depend on memory and repeating of oral tradition, which is less reliable, uh, a less reliable method in preserving these words through history than is recording God's words in writing. So you have that aspect of it. Uh, secondly, the opportunity for repeated inspection of words that are written down really permits that careful study and instruction that you long for as a, as a believer which then leads to a better understanding of the word and more complete obedience to Christ. So the ability to open the word of God and study it and go over it and over it again, rather than just trying to recall to mind what somebody has said to you. Third, what Gruda mentions here is God's words and writing are accessible to many more people than they are when preserved merely through memory and oral repetition, especially since the advent of the printing press, which the Lord simultaneously brought to existence along with the Reformation and ignited 
a fire throughout the world of his word. So those things, uh, I think, are, are helpful um, when, we, when we consider that. And, you know, really how thankful we should be that we have the word of God written. As Jeremy mentioned, um, not all believers have the word of God in their hands this very day. Um, and I just wanted to mention one more thing. I know I've been doing a lot of promotion this morning. <laughs> but one, one more way, if you're interested in helping brothers and sisters who are longing to have the Word of God in their hand but don't currently have the Word of God in their hand, uh, primarily because they live in restricted nations where it's illegal to own a copy of the Word. And so if they're going to get a copy, it's got to kind of be smuggled in to them. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs has a ministry called Bibles Unbound. Uh, it's really a, a great ministry. Sabrina and I have been involved with this personally over the last decade or so. And what they do essentially is as they're out on the field, as Voice of the Martyr representatives are out on the field and they get a word from somebody, somebody says, I'd really love to have a Bible. They write down their name and then they submit these names back to the head office and try to make sure that they can get a word in their language uh, to them. It may take a little time to get it to them, but they have covert operations that they use in order to, to get the Word of God to them. So you can take a look at that website there, BiblesUnbound.com. Um, I think each Bible costs about $5 to send to a, a brother or sister who would really long to have. have uh, right up here on the screen, Bibles Unbound. That's okay. BiblesUnbound.com. So well, they actually um, change from time to time depending on the need. Like if there's a great need in China or whatever the case may be, they let you know, hey, we're going sh- to channel it this way. So it, you don't specifically focus in on one country necessarily. You just, um, Although I think you have that option to do it, but then they'll send you emails and just say, hey, is it okay if we redirect to this way? There's a greater need here or whatever the case may be. So uh, a great way you know, to, to get the Word of God uh, into the hands of our brothers and sisters who are longing. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you, we, we take it for granted, right, that we have the Word of God accessible to us in so many different ways. I have it here. I've got it on, you know, my phone, on iPad, whatever the case may be. Um, and, and we can take that for granted. We shouldn't feel guilty about that. We should be very grateful to it. But seeking to promote ways to, uh, to get it to others who don't have, who don't have a copy of that. So there's a, a good resource there. So, so as we think about, you know, just this lesson, let's, let's pray that the Lord will help us to treasure and obey his written word as much as we would his direct voice of heaven to us, because there is no difference in the authority between the two. And we'll explore that a little more as we continue our study. All right, let me close us in prayer. Father, we want to thank you again that we have in our hands this morning your word. And I pray that you would help us to treasure it as we ought to. That you would give us grace to understand that this is your very word and that we would joyfully obey it as such. Help us to esteem it highly 
not to just build up our intellect, but that through our intellect, our hearts would be radically transformed as we commune with you through it, as your spirit illuminates the truth to us. And so we thank you for it, Father. We want to give you praise. We've seen the power of your word transform our hearts, not only in salvation, Lord, but as we continue to walk day by day in sanctification, as we look over the years, Father, we see your work in conforming us to the image of Christ through the written word of God. And this is the means by which you have ordained. So may we be quick to take advantage of this means of grace that we have so readily available to us. We thank you for these things in Christ's name. Amen.